Welcome to a brand new episode of Queering Desi. This is your host, Priya. This week, I had the pleasure of talking to someone who is funny both on screen and off, and he's taking South Asian representation all the way to Hollywood. He even gives us an inside scoop on what it's like to be part of the industry. You may recognize him from the Netflix show Atypical, or from his stand-up comedy that went viral a couple years ago. But one thing is for sure, he's a rising star that you should definitely have your eye on. Here's presenting the one and only Nick Dodani. Hey, Nick. Hello, Priya. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be able to talk to you. I like fangirled when someone tagged you on Instagram to, to talk oh, to us. Because... That was my sister. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah, how my older sister. She yeah, she's a big Brown Girl Magazine fan. So oh, that's that's wonderful yeah. to hear. I'm really glad to hear that. I actually, when I Googled you to do some background before speaking with you, I realized that I heard your name before and it was interesting where I heard it, which is BuzzFeed a couple years ago, because you Mm, had uh this stand-up set that went viral and it was everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty surreal. I had just started doing stand-up shortly before that, about like six, seven months uh, before that, and just kind of threw my video up online, just kind of to send to friends and whatnot, and then... (laughs) the gay blogs and the, the, the gay mafia found yeah. it. And then I ended up on Buzzfeed and spread kind of crazily <laughs> um, in a way that I wasn't uh, prepared for. And especially, I think I was most surprised by how far it spread like in India. Oh, wow. Um, and just like in the Indian blogosphere as well. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I think it was after that happened that I actually realized how there just really aren't that many people talking about being queer and brown. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was amazing about that stand-up though, is you talked about something that not a lot of people talk about. And I wonder just as a viewer, how did you face the fear of that? Or was there fear? Was there anxiety? Or was it the only way that you could cope with coming out or tell your story and convert that into comedy? So on my stand-up coach, Jerry Katzman, his advice was to dig deep down and find like the most traumatic, most painful, scariest things you know, that have happened to you and talk about that because that's the most interesting stuff. And, you know, when I really, you know, kind of sat down and and started going back on my life, it was very clear what I wanted to talk about Mm. coming out and, you know, race and sexuality and the intersection of that and growing up in Arizona and with immigrant parents, but being Indian American and like dealing with all those things. um, It kind of felt like the natural place to start in terms of what I wanted to write about. Mm -hmm. And and then all that stuff kind of just came out. Looking back even on that set or, or looking back on the journey itself, what would you say about your coming out journey? What was it like and what, what what maybe have you learned since then? And what does it feel like now a few years out even from that? You know, b- being a few years out, I mean, I came out seven years ago, mm-hmm. which is crazy to even say out loud because <laughs> that is just a long time ago. Yeah. And and looking back at it now, I'm just like, I, I feel like, why was I so nervous? Why was I so apprehensive? You know, there's not fucking no, no big deal. It's fine. But then I like really try to put myself back into the place where I was when I was 17 yeah. and 18 years old. And I just, that anxiety kind of rushes back to me. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, things have changed in the last seven <laughs> yeah. years. You know, I, I think kind of forget, or at least I do at least, yeah. you know, just the culture has shifted. And, you know, as you grow up, you become more comfortable, but you know, the coming out journey was tough. It was, it was not easy. But I think, you know, I'm happy that I did. I'm happy I came out to my parents and my family. And I'm I'm thrilled that I chose to 
come out publicly in a way through my standup. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, when I put that video up online, I, it wasn't consciously a decision. Like I want to come out to the public. And, you know, after I did that, a lot of people were like, Ooh, are you sure you want to be out and you're trying to be an actor and a comedian? And do you really want to be out of the closet so publicly? And I was like, Oh, uh, well, yeah, of course. Fuck. I mean, I'm not going to like, you know, not. And I'm really glad that I kind of impulsively just did that because I think it's been, it's been so liberating to just not have to worry about, you know, keeping myself hidden. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and how, it's been so fun. Yeah. How does it incorporate into your work? Your queerness, your South Asianness, is something that's part of your identity. And on this podcast, I try to get to how intersectional everything is. You know, we're not just one label and we're not just one thing. Mm-hmm. How do you think that your not only your coming out journey, but just your queerness and, and your outness play into your professional life and all the things that you do? I, I think it plays a huge role. I mean, it's aged me a lot faster. I mean, I joke that I have just like the soul of an old man. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that early on in my life, I was kind of grappling with all these different identities and all the issues that came with that, the good and the bad. And, you know, now, thank goodness, it is, it is more good than bad. And I find a lot of strength in my queerness and in my South Asianness and the community that kind of forms around those identities. And my favorite thing now is the queer Indian community that I have in LA like that, which is something I never had before. And to have that group of people, is just so special and it definitely influences the way I kind of navigate my life and especially the way I navigate the industry. Yeah, definitely. And I would, I would love to hear more about how you ended up you know, on, on Atypical, such an amazing show, uh, which I loved, by the way, and Thanks. I loved your role in. Oh, thank um, you. What was, your, what was your journey like from viral stand-up star to, to Atypical? Like, how does one make that leap? So I started acting way before I started doing stand-up, actually. Oh. I started acting when I was 11 years old, um, 12 years old in Arizona. And, you know, I tried doing the thing for a few years. I used to come out to LA for audition, you know, that kind of thing. And then that just got way too expensive. And so I stopped and then I came out here for college to do acting and tried it again. Didn't really work out. And then I fortunately, you know, through an accident, got back into acting a few years ago and that was doing okay, but it wasn't doing as well as I wanted. And that's when I started doing stand up because I needed a creative outlet and shit to fill my time, honestly, because yeah. uh, I was not working yeah. and I hated college. And so I, I wanted something to do. And that's when I started stand up. And that kind of took off, you know, on its own without really any kind of intention behind it, to be totally honest. It just kind of popped and happened and the internet did its thing. And that in turn helped my acting career in a way. You know, I think definitely the exposure from that was good. And I started getting more auditions and people believe that I was that I could be funny and that I could actually do the thing and, and do comedy and, and be a comedic person and, and performer. And then so a couple of years ago in twenty sixteen I auditioned for for Atypical, just went in, regular audition, and five months later, uh I got the role. It was the longest time <laughs> I've waited. It was the most excruciating. I went in so many times and I wanted it so badly because the script was just so well done. And the showrunner is this awesome Pakistani American woman who who worked on Will and Grace and How I Met Your Mother and just like all these incredible shows. And I just wanted it so badly. I got lucky, you know, and, and it worked out. And you know, we shot season one in 2016, right after the election, which was an interesting experience. And, and right now we're shooting season two. We're in the middle of season two. We have about three weeks left. And I'm really excited for folks to see what we're up to in the next season. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, hearing about your journey, it's kind of interesting. Like South Asian-ness does not, is not conducive to acting. Like the community is not like acting is an acceptable <laughs> profession. You know, how, how yeah. did your family respond to that? And how has that been in the community at large for you? My parents have always been super supportive. They are, they're definitely, I think, an anomaly in like the Indian parent world. <laughs> um, you know, they encouraged my sister and I both to kind of do whatever we wanted. I mean, Early on, they were very, you know, like, yeah, go be a doctor, go be a lawyer. And then as soon as we were, we were just like, no, they were like, okay, fine, <laughs> go, go do it, go do what you want. We're not going to force you to do that kind of stuff, which was such a gift. I mean, to have parents that are that supportive and my mom, especially, I mean, her, her dream as a kid was to be a Bollywood star. And so uh-huh. she was, she was thrilled that like, you know, I wanted to go into acting. Right. My mom actually about three years ago, uh, moved to Mumbai to pursue Bollywood. No way. And she's like living with a 30 year old roommate and like started smoking pot and like going on, <laughs> going on auditions and like doing weird commercials and stuff. And so she turned 60 this year. And so she's, she, I definitely get a lot of my like weirdness from, from her and my dad. And your amazingness, uh, but, probably, because that sounds like she's well, just thanks. like reliving her youth. That's amazing. Oh, she's having she's having a renaissance right now. <laughs> it's it's super weird for me, but everyone says it's impressive, and so I'm just gonna take that. <laughs> just up, go with it. Their word. <laughs> just go with it. Just go with it. The community at large, you know, is definitely a little more difficult. You know, yeah. the whole lawyer, doctor, engineer yeah. thing. It's it's a stereotype, but it also it comes from somewhere. Uh, yeah. You know, that's especially you know a lot of Indian American communities. It, that's just how it is. And so definitely it was a little more difficult to kind of get that acceptance from, from the larger community. But now that also has been, the response has also been really awesome. I think, I think things have changed. I think the South Asian community in the States is also way more open to like having actors and, and musicians and, and artists of all stripes and activists in, in our ranks without judgment, which is really cool to see. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, things have changed, which is part of my next question being a part of the industry, what do you think the shift has been? Because we've obviously seen so much more South Asian representation now. You have mm-hmm. the Mindy Kalings and the Aziz Ansaris and Kumail Nanjiani. And, I mean, the, the list yeah. is growing and growing. What do you think has been the shift? And obviously, I think, you know, you have been part of the shift. There's there's room for folks like us, folks like you. But being in the industry, how, how would you look at it? And what do you think that shift has been? And where do you see it going, like representation of brown people in Hollywood? You know, it's because of people like Mindy and Aziz and yeah. Kalpen and and Kumail and, and Riz Ahmed. And I mean, all these folks, like the list could go on. I mean, yeah. they've been doing this for so long, fighting their way through the industry, fighting upstream. And their success has really just created a space for the rest of us. And I'm very much occupying that space. <laughs> and, and like it, it really is because of them and broader, you know, cultural shifts. But I really do credit the folks that came before like Sakina Jaffrey and Anisha Ganatra and behind the camera. Like there are just so many folks who have been pushing for us. And I think we're seeing the fruits of that labor right now. I personally do feel like there is still so much more to be done. Obviously they, these guys have been, you know, breaking the ice slowly, but surely. But in terms of like South Asian LGBTQ representation, that even seems Mm -hmm. like a even harder, you know, mountain to climb. Where do you see that going? Do you do you see that being a possibility in Hollywood? Do you feel like the culture is shifting even towards that? I think so. I mean, I like to think we are moving in that direction. I'm cautiously optimistic. <laughs> I have yet to play a gay role. So yeah. that's, you know, and I want one so badly. And that's been like such a challenge to like 
like begging for gay roles, which is like almost most actors just avoid gay roles because they don't want to be pigeonholed. And meanwhile, I'm like, please. And, but that hasn't happened yet. And I think that part of that is because I don't know if we're ready for a queer Indian right. dude on the screen. But I do think, you know, we're moving in that direction. I, I think it's, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I hope so. I'm glad to know that you're literally looking for a role like that, because I, I think that is part of the issue, too, is is that roles like that aren't even though we may be ready, like they're not they're not so much available yet or people aren't yet looking for them or writing them or I mean, I think people are writing them, but maybe they're not making it to the right, you know, right into the right. mainstream. And that and that for me as an activist is a hard thing to grapple with, because I'm like, do we really want to be part of the mainstream? Because there's so much art and creative outlets and, and creative things that are happening in our communities that don't need mm-hmm. to be part of Hollywood or part, you know, to be right. recognized or to be valid. So it's like this, this catch 22 for me where I'm like, I want to see them on my screen, but also like, I don't need you. I <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. that's so fair. And I think, I think that's a really, uh, that makes sense. Cause you're, I mean, I'm kind of bitter about that. We haven't seen it yet, but like, I personally, I'm like, no, I, I do want to see it on our screens and I, I do want, I do want it in Hollywood. I do want it mainstream. And I, and cause I think there's a power in that. And I, everyone deserves their story on, on, on a screen. It, it's such a, such an integral part of the way we communicate with each other and the way we live our lives and the way we form our ideas and opinions and the culture and all of it. So I, I want it. I think it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a matter of time. Yeah, definitely. And I hope you get to play that role. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I I wonder, like, as a brown person, how the industry has been for you. Have you faced discrimination? Have you faced racism of any kind? Like breaking into that, you know, we talked about people before you kind of struggling through that and making space for folks like us. But But have you faced anything yourself like that? Oh, for sure. You know, I think I've experienced less than people that came before me, but I've definitely experienced my fair share of really stupid racist comments, being asked to speak Indian, being, you know, asked about curry and the Taj Mahal as if I'm an expert on that. And like, uh, you know, being asked to do the accent in a way that is not respectful. So one of the movies that I did early on in my career, my first line literally was, shut up, bitch, I'm a slumdog billionaire. No. And it was supposed to be with an accent, and uh, the director was pretty not sensitive to the racial dynamics at play, and it was just it was just ridiculous. How do you deal with a situation like that as an actor, like in that when someone's like asking you to do that, how have you dealt with it just in the moment, but both for yourself, like afterwards? Yeah. Well, in the moment at the time, that was really that was years ago. And Mm. so I was just like, yeah, whatever you want, Mr. (laughs) Director, like I'll just (laughs) I'll speak Indian. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? And and then I hated myself, you know, afterwards. it hasn't happened to me in in a minute, which is I'm really happy about. If it if it does happen again, I'm sure it will. I like to think that I would speak up and kind of you know speak yeah. up for myself. But yeah, you never know. I mean, when you're dealing with people who are writing your paychecks and yeah, in the moment it's tough. It's a tough thing to negotiate. It's really someone just mistook me for Danny Pudi, oh, and uh, I know we don't even look like <laughs> he. I, I, in the moment, I just I laughed and I was like, "Don't worry about it." And then I was like, "Well, no, maybe I should have said." But I don't know. <laughs> it's also for me. Like I also come from a place where I give people the benefit of the doubt. I think most people are coming with good intentions, and like I do think it's important to not get too 
reactive in an angry way mm-hmm. and come from more of like a place of compassion. And, and I know it's not our job to teach racists to not be racist, yeah. <laughs> but uh, someone's got to do it. Yeah, there's value in education, right? I always wonder when when someone faces microaggressions, like when it's safe, you know, are we able to, to speak up and educate? Because honestly, a lot of times it is just ignorance, right? And, and I'm exactly. glad that you give people the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes it can be harder, right? If there's certain situations where it, where it feels really targeted or someone messes you up, like that's lazy to me, you know, like I, I, right. think, <laughs> I know like Calpen and, and Kamel and all these guys have traded stories on Twitter about uh, being yeah, taken for each that. other. <laughs> yeah. It's like insane <laughs> that that happens. It's crazy. Like we did a story it the happens, other day yeah. of like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg uh, testified in front of Congress and he had his executive assistant with him and she was an Asian woman and Getty Images like captioned her as his wife, Priscilla. Chan. Oh no. Yeah. And like that stuff kind of happens all the time and it's kind of yeah. insane. I, yeah. So to hear about it, like from you, it's like kind of a reinforcement of like, yep, that terrible thing still happens, but it's insane to me. I don't know how. I will say it really is more microaggressions than macroaggressions, yeah. which I mean, not that microaggressions are great, but it, you know, uh, at least the silver lining of it is it's not like, as bad as it could be. I'm like yeah, trying to ra- right. I'm no, like trying to true. rationalize all the shit I've dealt with. Um, no, that's totally fair. But like, do you think but, that there is scope for like South Asian actors or, or roles that that are not an accent or you know? A yeah, side I think so. Or you know, I think so. Yeah. I think it is a very new development, but uh, I think there are. I think I think you're seeing a lot of South Asian actors doing really non-traditional roles not traditional in the sense that it's not like the indian guy from india who's who's working at 7-eleven yeah. you know and I, and I think we're reaching that level where there are enough really successful people like kumail and aziz and riz who feel comfortable speaking up publicly about it and kind of stepping up and trying to protect other folks and so i i, I do think I, things are moving in a really really awesome direction yeah that's that's totally accurate and i feel the same way um what would you say has been one or any of the greater factors that have helped you in your journey of self-acceptance and outness? Like you're visible and you're present with all your identities. What do you think has played a role in that? Is it culture? Is it upbringing? Like what would you say that was for you? That's a tough one. The honest answer is I don't know. Mm. Uh, the The honest answer is it kind of just happened. Yeah, I've been really lucky to have people around me who have supported me. Like I, I really, you know, my parents did take the coming out tough at first, but like it was a really quick evolution for them. Mm. And they are my biggest cheerleaders. And my mm. sister is amazing. And the friends that I've made over the last, you know, seven, eight years being in LA and the community that I've built, I think has been my foundation, the people around me. I think that would be the biggest credit. Yeah. Creating the space for me to just kind of be honest and authentic without much pushback. I mean, when you say it like that, it sounds so simple, but that's such a huge thing. And I think so many of us don't it don't is. even get that. But the ones that do, it's like so it's so simply put, but it's so hard to actually enact and create. It's so hard. I'm, I'm so lucky. Like I, I like I know I didn't always have that. Like when I was in Arizona in high school and middle school, I mean, I did not have that. And so, I, I you know, I kind of experienced both versions of being a queer Indian person yeah. with the community and without. And yeah, it's. I just, I wish, I wish it was bigger. I wish there was more of it. I wish, I wish it could be that way for everybody. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What would you say is like a significant moment for you? I mean, career wise or personal wise or journey wise, just for you, when you look back at at all these things, what would you look back on and say that, you know, that was a a prime moment or a great memory in terms of your journey as like an out gay man? There's so many. My mind is going to just so many different (laughs) moments. You know, the first time I did a stand-up show where I just spent well, it was just maybe six, seven minutes, but just talking about being gay and being Indian and being unapologetic about that mm-hmm. and having a sold out room full of people laughing at that, I think was, I mean, I'm always chasing that high. Yeah. Like that first show, honestly, was, was pretty life changing. Cause it was a very just tangible experience of support and love that I honestly hadn't really ever had before. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I, I would say that was, that, that's the big one. Do you still do comedy now? I mean, you're so busy with, with other projects, but do you still have the, itch? I do, do you still do it. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm not as much as I would like because <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy, but also because it requires so much networking yes. and I, I, I like low key hate people. Um, so <laughs> Uh, that's I'm not going up as much as I wish, but I, I definitely still still doing it, still writing. And there's actually this great show that I've been doing recently called West Hollywood Brunch, and it's a it's a, it's a gay show at the Comedy Store, and it has just been so much fun because queer spaces are just. I'm, as I get older, I'm, I'm, I get why we need our own rooms, you know. Mm. So yeah, I'm definitely still doing it. Absolutely. That's awesome. I, I wish that, and maybe the next time in my LA, I'll, uh, I'll come out to one of those. Cause that sounds amazing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's every month. It's great. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Let me know. Yeah. Um, what can you tell us about any upcoming projects? I saw that you were cast in like Murphy Brown and, and atypical season two, obviously ongoing, as you mentioned, is there anything you can tell us about upcoming stuff that you're really excited about? Yeah, totally. So this past weekend was the premiere of a movie called Alex Strange Love, mm. which is coming out on Netflix in June. It is a queer coming of age story, very John Hughes style. Mm. And it is such a special movie. I cannot wait for people to see it. My role is tiny, but I'm so proud and humbled to just be a part of it. it it's uh, it's kind of like Love, Simon, but... Uh, I'm just going to say it is better than Love, Simon. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's dope. And so that comes out. It's it's produced by Ben Stiller, directed and written by Craig Johnson, who did Skeleton Twins. And uh, it has some incredible actors, openly queer, playing queer and straight. And so that's really exciting. And then, like I said, we're shooting season two of Atypical, which comes out this fall. I don't really know when exactly, but it's going to be it's going to be great. We got two extra episodes this season. Ooh. And... I think we've really like hit our stride mm. and the stories and storylines this season are really special. And, and, and especially with Zahid, my character, we really get to see more of him, which is really exciting for me. Mm. And that's fun. And then Murphy Brown, that's, that's, that's the, the crazy one <laughs> that, that just happened. Yeah. So Murphy Brown's coming back 30 years after it's the <laughs> first time it aired. Candace Bergen is back as Murphy and, we got a bunch of the original crew and a few new cast members, and we're going to be on CBS this fall. I am playing Pat Patel, who is the News Network's social media director. So I am their, I am their token millennial, but I'm super excited about that. You know, I think, I think it's going to make a bit of a splash. I mean, you have to look at the Roseanne 
numbers. I mean, yeah. the, you know, the crazy ratings for Roseanne, I think, you know, people, there's an appetite for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm really excited for people to see what, what Candace Bergen and, and Diane English, the showrunner have planned for this revival. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned Roseanne. I was going to ask, how do you feel about remakes and returns? But also, do you have any favorites of the ones that have been rebooted or like a secret wish list of ones that you wish would be rebooted? Bring back Friends. <laughs> Just bring it back. I know they're all old. and They like, won't do it. <laughs> I know. I don't know why. It makes me think there's something that happened and they're just not telling anybody. Oh, but yeah, like... Maybe. I just, just just bring it back, bring it back. I, I would I would I would die. I heard a rumor that they might bring Thirty Rock back, also, oh which, God, I kind which of is hope. super recent. I, I hope, hope so. I kind of hope not. I mean, maybe that's not really. It, they'll ruin it. Like it was so good. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> like, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, that that is the risk with all of these. Because yeah. like, who knows? They're bringing Charmed back apparently oh, yes. with an all with an all Latina cast, which and I think is really cool. That's amazing. Yeah, representation. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, no, I think I, I think it's cool that you know there's all these revivals and reboots. You know, I think we're gonna have you know some are gonna hit, some are gonna miss. <laughs> but you know, there's definitely you know I was just talking to him about this. I think because of the craziness and just the turbulence of everything right now, people kind of want something that's comfortable and familiar, and I think that's so valid. Yeah. And I think that's such a real desire, and I think. Shows like Roseanne, and you know, obviously there's problems with Roseanne, but uh, uh, shows like Roseanne, Will and Grace, and and, and Murphy Brown, and I think I think there's I think there's something really cool and valuable about bringing those things back. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely like some kind of nostalgia happening of like simpler times and like wanting to exactly. You know, the roots of comedy. I think that's what's also interesting. I myself haven't seen Roseanne, but I I worry with remakes how they can like find the same, maybe not the same, but a a strain at least of the same kind of voice or comedy. Like with Thirty Rock, when I imagine a reboot, like I'm terrified because there was such like wittiness and like candor to the way that (laughs) the show was made, and I wonder if they would ever be able to like recapture that recreate that who knows worth the shot yeah <laughs> cast nick why not <laughs> <laughs> yeah please i'm 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 a veil sort okay. of <laughs> sort of <laughs> pending schedule um <laughs> <laughs> one last question for you before we play a few games to wrap up yeah um, if you could go back and give your younger self advice what would it be don't worry so much about being cool <laughs> <laughs> I think as a as a kid and teen, I was so obsessed with proving that I was cool. Mm. And I, cool is the word. Like I desperately just wanted to be cool mm. that that it kind of just like got in the way of things. And, you know, I, in therapy, I have discovered that I think that that desire was there because, you know, I was dealing with so much rejection in the world, being Indian in a white community, being an American kid in in an immigrant family being queer amongst a bunch of straights and being working class in a rich neighborhood and like all these different things that were like working against me that mm. kind of made me other, I think kind of created that really strong desire for me to be, you know, cool or whatever. Uh, but I would just tell myself, just relax. <laughs> don't, don't fucking care so much. I can say fuck on this, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. As a podcast. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's that's great advice. I I completely resonate with that. I think sometimes I still try to be cool. So when you said that, I was like, oh, this we is all current do. advice. <laughs> like, 
You are cool, Priya. Oh, thanks. I think you're pretty cool too, Nick. (laughs) Um, I worked really hard to get there. I know. I could tell. I actually loved (laughs) when you said that. I I thought of your stand-up, which I recently rewatched again, was the chameleonaire part. About. Exactly. Yes, that one. That one really captures it. Like I tried so hard. <laughs> that was just so real, and I was like, "But that, but like that song was so good." <laughs> I right? Don't blame yeah, you. Live and dirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So real. So real. That's great advice. For, first of all, um, but to wrap up, I want to play a couple games with you. So before chatting, uh, we talked about a few of your your favorite celebrity crushes. Mm-hmm. Now, if you had to date, marry, or kill. Frank Ocean, Jake Gyllenhaal, or Kevin Abstract? How would you decide? Uh, <laughs> you, that, you did not tell me that was See? what the game was going to be. Exactly. Oh, geez. Whoa. And feel free to like describe your, you know, or voice your thinking as you're you're making these difficult decisions. Well, it's just I'm obviously not killing Frank Ocean. I mean, no, that's obviously. just that's that. I mean, but do I, I mean? Mary, I think I'm going to marry Frank. Hmm. And then marry Frank. I'm going to kill Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, no. You know, uh, yeah, I love him, but, well, I'm not going to kill Kevin. (laughs) You know, he's young. He's got his whole career ahead of him. Aw, you're very thoughtful. Yeah, well, you know, and and Jake's straight, so, like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, there's wiggle room. I guess that's true. I mean, is anyone really straight? Exactly. Exactly. No, but I think those are sound choices. So marry Frank Ocean, date Kevin Abstract, and kill Jake Gyllenhaal. Totally. I I hope none of them listen to this. <laughs> I really hope not. Um, and then you mentioned some comedic inspirations of yours, being you know John Stewart, Stephen Colbert, just the Daily Show in general, and then also like Thirty Rock, Friends. Um, if you had to rank these, like, how would you rank them? And in terms of the top, <laughs> you're trying to get <laughs> me in trouble. I'm totally uh, trying to get you in trouble. <laughs> um, rank, I rank, view yeah. everyone the same Aww, and equal. I got and, the PC uh, answer. No. Yeah. Boo. You got the bullshit answer. I, I'm not ranking them. Mm, pass. <laughs> Next game. Okay. Well, who would you actually, okay. Since you refuse to answer that question, who would you actually <laughs> love to work with? Like, what is your dream of like? I I really want to work with either this comedian or this actor. Like, what's who's on your wish list? I want to do I want to do something with Amy Poehler. Mm, okay. I just I just I have this image of just being on set with her being the most fun thing in the world. Yeah. I can just I mean because she's just <laughs> such an incredible improviser and I, I just I think that would be so much fun. Definitely. Okay. Well, the last like little fun tidbit is I asked you your favorite movie and you mentioned Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. Now, this is a little Mm -hmm. tricky with what I wanted to turn it into. So you're free to change your answer. (laughs) But what I was trying to get at was like your favorite movie. And then what who would you cast as like a either a South Asian cast or like an LGBT version? So you can take Eternal Sunshine or you can do a different movie. Interesting. I love that question. Mm. Um, Hmm. I mean, let's stick with Eternal Sunshine. Okay. I think I would love to see, like, I just, I think, I feel like Riz Ahmed would kill. Mm, absolutely. In that, as Jim Carrey's character. Mm. Um, I would just love to see that. And for Kate Winslet's character, ooh, that's a, that's a fun one. Hmm. 
You can also make like Kate Winslet's character like gay and have that. That's what I, I yeah, was totally. Okay. I was thinking. Okay. Like, I mean, can we? Can, <laughs> yeah. I, can I? Can I? Can I pick? Can I pick the male? Sure. Sure. Oh my god. <laughs> can Ellen I just make Riz. it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, new bromance right? question mark. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They're just like such an that would be such an odd couple. Oh my god, uh, which which to, which totally you know Clementine and and you know Joel are yeah. such a weird couple. I feel like I would I would love that. Absolutely. Oh my god, that's that's a good that's a good casting. I like this. Now, yeah. If you oh, ever get it's, it's okay casting. <laughs> if you I was gonna say if you ever don't get you know stop getting roles and offers you can definitely go into casting. that's all the questions that i had for you is there anything else that i didn't touch upon that you wanted to to chat about or mention no uh that was no that that, that's it okay great and if you can um let people know where to like follow you online or follow your work uh either on social media or website or anything oh for sure yeah i'm on instagram at nick dodani spelled n-i-k um, I'm not anything else because I hate social media and it gives me incredible anxiety. Aww. Um, I deactivated my Twitter like two months ago and it was the best thing I ever did. Oh, wow. uh, awesome. uh, yeah, I needed to it was mental health. I just yeah. needed, I needed to, um, but yeah, Instagram and yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nick. Uh, I appreciate your time and, and, and your thank candor you. and everything. It was, it was great chatting with you. Yeah, it was super fun. Definitely. And yeah, thank you. Thank you again so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Queering Daisy. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes to help us spread the word and make sure you get the latest episodes right to your phone every Wednesday. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, or know someone who should be featured on Queering Daisy, please drop us an email. Thanks again for listening.